Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. Are you ready for the word this morning? We're going to go to Luke chapter 19. It is a traditional passage of scripture. They tell you in Bible college, stay away. Uh, really, some of the most difficult passages of scripture to preach from are the ones that people already know. And so we are going to go to a familiar passage of scripture today, but I'm praying that God does something unfamiliar, that in the midst of our traditions, that God does something that's untraditional today, that he really would speak to our hearts. We're going to Luke chapter 19. And because it's Palm Sunday, I think it'd be difficult, difficult to preach about anything else. Uh, it, not preaching about this message on Palm Sunday really would be like preaching the birth of Jesus at Easter or about the death of Jesus at Christmas or about how great of a dad I have on Mother's Day. Come on, how many know that would just be a little bit different? It's, it may be true, but come on, this is not really the Sunday for that. So we're going to what is called the triumphal entry, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. I'm gonna read to you uh, 14 verses. So if you haven't read your Bible yet this week, let me catch you up right now, okay? Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, the Bible says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at this hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two, two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there to which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, and just as he had told them, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people began to spread their cloaks on the road. How many know it's going to be a good Sunday when people start taking their clothes off, waving them, Jesus, this is what was happening that Sunday, spinning their cloaks on the ground. It says in verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I bet you didn't know that was the Palm Sunday message. If we keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And verse 41 says, and as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. And he said, if you, even you had only known what this, what on this day would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. I want to speak to you today about this Palm Sunday message from this idea. What happens when God doesn't meet your expectation? What happens when God doesn't meet your expectation? I'm preaching to those today who have prayed but are still not healed. I'm preaching to, the, to, to those today who may have believed but still you've experienced loss in this season, who may have taken a step of faith to, to start that business but are now faced with bankruptcy. I'm, I'm preaching to people today who may look around this tent and see a bunch of happy people but you may feel like on the inside, feel like giving up on God. I'm preaching about this idea, what happens when God doesn't do what you expected him to do? 
How many ever felt like that before? When God doesn't do what you expected him to do. I've just learned this principle in my life. Faith is strengthened by what God does, but it's tested in what God doesn't. I've just learned this in my life. This is the truth, that miracles, moments with Jesus, breakthrough, healing, the encounters with God, this is where our faith is built and they're necessary. But many times faith is tested when God doesn't do what you thought. When you prayed and believed and God still seems absent. When you're looking around going, God, I don't know how this is supposed to go. I I don't think this is really what you meant. God, I had a different idea of the way that this, would, that this should have gone. This isn't what I had in mind. I'm preaching to people today that knows what it feels like to have their faith stretched because God doesn't do many times what we thought. The people that know that life sometimes includes hardship and pain and struggle and loss, but can still look to Jesus today in the middle of their storm. I want to preach to you today about people that have just learned. Maybe you've been through some stuff. Maybe you've seen some stuff in your life, but you've just learned this idea. We worship through our expectation. We worship through the moments when God doesn't seem to be doing what you want. And why am I preaching this on Palm Sunday? Cody, it's a happy Sunday. We're supposed to have like a, I will bless the Lord at all times. Yeah. But Palm Sunday... Really, this is the story of what this represents. Palm Sunday is one big lesson to us as a church of the tension between our expectation and God's answer. Let me just remind you today, God never promised to do what you thought. God promised that his will would be accomplished. I want to preach to you today just from this thought, what happens when God doesn't do what we thought, when when he doesn't answer the way that we thought. It's not what we expected. Let me set this up for just a moment because this very first Sunday that we're walking into, as we read about, this very first Palm Sunday happens at the start of Passover. Passover was the celebration of Jewish people where they they would uh, remember how God brought them out of Egypt. And as the story goes, the, the plagues of Egypt, the very last plague was death and the angel would sweep over the land. And, and, and what would happen is the, the homes that were marked by the blood of a lamb, the angel would pass over. And they were celebrating how God used this to bring them out of Egypt. And each year, the Jewish people would flock to Jerusalem and worship. And, and the way that they would worship was they would sacrifice a lamb as a way to pay retribution for their sins. And so historians would tell us that the population of Jerusalem during this time would swell to nearly 3 million people from around the ancient world. And so in addition to, you can imagine the buzz that was created by the mass influx of people. You can imagine the the buzz around the city of of the celebration that was going on at Passover. But there was an additional buzz that was happening that day around Jesus because the Bible said that because of all the signs, miracles, and wonders that Jesus had performed, there was a crowd that had kind of been growing along with him. And there that day in Jerusalem, people would would begin to celebrate Jesus and they would tear down palm branches and begin to lay them on the ground and wave them in front of Jesus as their king. And the amazing thing to consider about this is the symbolism because this Passover is especially significant because this Passover, just like the very first Passover, the people would be spared from death by the blood of a lamb, but not in the way that they thought. 
was a different expectation. It's incredibly significant. Even for Jesus riding into town that day, things in his life have been building up to this moment. I'm telling you this because it's easy for us to read the Bible and to forget that the people we read about didn't know the end of the story. It's easy for us to read the scriptures and to think, to, to think that we know the end of the story, so it's easy for us to celebrate. But the first believers there, the disciples, they never would have guessed the end of the story. All the ups and downs and fear and confusion and hope and uncertainty and risk, just like we experience that we read about in the scriptures, is so oftentimes what we experience even in our life. And I just have to imagine the disciples there that first Palm Sunday, the start of the Passover, the people celebrating, millions of people, the crowd shouting Hosanna. Can imagine the disciples looking to each other and saying, finally, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the moment. Jesus is about to do what he came to do. They're thinking to themselves, finally, people are starting to see him just like we see him. They, they began to journey with Jesus and all throughout the three years of his earthly ministry, they saw Jesus. They had conversations with him. They were confounded by his wisdom. They saw him operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They saw him perform supernatural signs, miracles, and wonders. And I'm setting this moment up for us to see the disciples there thinking, this is the Messiah. This is the one that we were waiting for. The problem is it was gonna happen just not in the way that they thought. So the Bible says in verse 37 that as the, the moment there, the crowd began to see Jesus, they were celebrating. I got mine, little palm branch. They were waving it, saying, Hosanna. The Bible says that they shouted aloud. They began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice, in a loud voice, in a loud voice. I was talking to someone a couple weeks back where after service, I was approached by someone who had come across the street from one of the apartment complexes. And he had approached me and he said, I've got no problem with you gathering, but why does it have to be so loud? <laughs> he said, I'm all for gathering, but why does it have to be so loud? Can I just tell you today, this is the biblical mandate for us to get a little bit loud sometimes. <laughs> Because there is a praise oftentimes that a golf clap won't do. Sometimes there is a praise in my heart and in my spirit that a loud voice is the only thing that's going to satisfy. God is good. He is holy. He is worthy. And I'm just telling you, sometimes it takes a praise from the inside that a little hallelujah, a little oh, thank you, God, that won't do. Sometimes there is a loud praise inside of me that just begins to lift up worship to God. Sometimes it takes a loud voice, and this is the biblical mandate for us to get a little bit loud and rowdy sometimes. Come on, let's clap our hands real loud so the apartments can hear it. <laughs> Hallelujah. So they began to shout in a loud voice, and then the crowd, we get an insight into what they were shouting. They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to make note of that word king. The reason why I'm asking you to make note of that is because really this, this little couple bars that we get that we hear the people singing that day, it comes from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was like the, 
the road trip playlist as people began to make the trek from wherever they were from to Jerusalem. It was a Passover song. And as they were making that trek, they began to sing out Psalm 118. And they would sing out this song. It would remember the Passover. It would remember how God brought us out. Psalm 118, verse 25 is where we get the quote. And it says this. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray you give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I was reading this to myself this week, and I said, hold on. That's, that's not the same song. You ever be in the car with someone, and they just make up their own words to the song? I was thinking to myself, this isn't the same song. And then I began to do some study. We, we, we oftentimes in 2021 can think Hosanna is just like another way to say praise God. I think we get it confused many times with another church word called hallelujah. We think it's kind of interchangeable. Hosanna just means praise the Lord. We kind of go Palm Sunday on them and say, Hosanna. It's a little Hosanna praise. And I was reading, and the word Hosanna means save us now. That's what the word Hosanna means. And so I was thinking to myself today as we approach Palm Sunday, really getting a picture of the crowd that day, not saying Hosanna. They're saying, hey, save us. Where are you? Hello. It's gonna, I could use a little bit of help. Hello. Save us. Can I just tell you today, sometimes being a Christian in 2021 just looks like this. God, help. Sometimes it looks like, hey, save us. I'm reading on Instagram, there are satanic shoes. What are we even talking about? Hello, save us. And they're shouting that day, save us now. But then there was another small addition. And this is where we really have to be careful because many times this is how we treat even our expectation is we'll read the scripture and we think we'll add our own expectation to it. We'll read God's word and we'll think, God, this is what I mean for you to do. Because the people that day weren't just saying, blessed is he who comes. Remember the word. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes. It may seem like just a small difference, but it actually encapsulates a whole very significant expectation. Because the Bible says they weren't just looking for anyone. They were looking for a king a political figure to deliver them from Rome just as God had delivered them from Egypt. The people there had their own expectation, looking for the Messiah King. They're saying, blessed is the King who comes. What they're essentially saying to Jesus that day is, you are the one that's gonna save us from Rome just as you did save us from Egypt, just as we were delivered from captivity. The Bible says in verse 41 that Jesus rolls into town. He sees the crowd and then he weeps over it. Like, bro, why are you crying? This is a celebratory moment. It's an exciting moment. Everyone here is pumped. They're joyful. They're celebrating you. You're going to cry at your own party? Like, are you okay? Are you good, Jesus? Why are you weeping? I just have to believe today that the reason Jesus was weeping is because he loved these people, but he understood that he was going to disappoint them because he wasn't going to do what they expected him to do. He wasn't going to meet their expectation. Understand today they praised Jesus, but their praise was contingent on their expectation. 
They didn't just worship he who comes. They didn't worship Jesus for who he was. They worshiped Jesus for what he could do for them. This is really so important that we get this. See, there is a difference between praise and worship. And it's not the tempo or the style of the song. The difference between praise and worship. Praise is about what God has done. Worship is about who God is. This is the difference. And without comparing the two, we have to understand both are necessary. Both are essential. Jesus even tells us that if the people stopped praising, the rocks are going to cry out. See, it is our whole reason, not just the reason we're gathered here in church on a Sunday. The reason you're on this planet is to give God praise. It's our fundamental purpose is to worship God. Jesus tells us this is, this is a necessity of every believer, but where the crowd got it wrong is they were just praising, contingent on what God could do for them, not worshiping who God was. Please understand this today. God has designed you and me together, not just to praise God for what he has done, but to give him worship for who he is. This is our mission on the planet. And so the question that Palm Sunday asks us today is not just can you praise, but can you worship? The question Palm Sunday asks us is, can you worship when God doesn't? When he doesn't do what you thought? Can you worship when God doesn't meet your expectation? Really the question is, do you worship God because he's useful to you or because he's beautiful to you? Please hear me today. Worship is not contingent on God fulfilling your expectation. Worship is contingent on you just saying, God, you are beautiful to me. Teach me your ways. You are holy. And this is really where we have to allow ourselves to be challenged by Jesus today because the worship that should arise in our hearts, I promise you, if you get this revelation, you're not going to skip worship on a Sunday morning. You're not going to be late to church again. If you get this revelation, it's not going to be a little, okay, I'm going to roll up at 1120, 1115, because I just want the word. Give me the word. No, no, no. We have to understand all of our lives is worship, but when we gather together as the people of God, when we're sitting and we use worship and use music as a way to worship, what's beginning to happen is I'm allowing something to rise up in my spirit to make a faith declaration. Hello, not just a positive affirmation, but a faith declaration in who my God is. Come on, let's clap our hands and worship him today. It's who he is. And what a challenge for us. What a challenge for us, because worship is not just about a return on your investment. Worship isn't you just offering up a couple worship songs and saying, God, I thank you that you are, you're my provider. And your expectation is $1,000 check. We're not just worshiping, saying, God, it's contingent on what you can do for me. See, worship, the beautiful truth is that as we delight in God, he delights in us. This is the power of worship. And so this is where I think the crowd got it wrong. This, as we start the mark of this Holy Week, let's just take it back to the very first Holy Week because there that Sunday, the disciples saying, this is finally the moment. This is finally the time when people are gonna see Jesus like we see him, the Messiah, the King, delivering us from Rome. This is, it's about to all break loose. You know, right before this story, it says that the two disciples, uh, that their mother came up to Jesus and said, hey, when you take your throne, can they sit at your left and your right? 
Jesus essentially says, you've missed the whole point. It's not what I'm about to do. So the very first Holy Week, people are excited. They're, they're, they're ready for Jesus to step into this position. And then Monday, Monday happens, tomorrow. Jesus goes to the temple and starts flipping tables. The disciples are like, uh, hold up. Probably not making a whole lot of friends today. Like, we need to issue a PR statement. This is not a good look for our coming king. And then Tuesday happens. The Bible says that Mary anointed Jesus. She poured out a $60,000 bottle of perfume at Jesus' feet. And the Bible says that all were offended at his extravagant waste. So now it's not just unmet expectation. Now we've got frustration. We've got offense. Wednesday, Jesus, nowhere to be found. Silent. Thursday, he brings his disciples to the upper room and he says, guys, this is the moment I'm going to die. They're like, what? Not 24 hours after that fact, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. No crowd, just three people at the foot of the cross. So we're dealing with not just unmet expectation, we're dealing with offense, we're dealing with frustration, we're dealing with God's silence, we're dealing with, with the, 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 this reality of betrayal and giving up all hope. So how do we go from millions of people shouting, save us, to not even, to just three people there at the foot of the cross? I think many times people can only worship God when it makes sense. I'm going to tell you today, you've got to learn how to worship God when it doesn't make sense. You got to learn how to worship God. You got to learn how to sing in the midst of your frustration. You've got to learn how to worship even when you feel offended. You've got to learn how to praise when God is nowhere to be found. I'm telling you today, you've got to learn how to lift your hands, not because life is good, but because God is good. I wish somebody today could lift up a worship today to say, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of failure, I've got a worship that's still left in me, that's left in my spirit. Even in our darkest moments, even in the moments that are the most painful and the most challenging, even still to have a worship in our heart that says, God, you know I still love you because of who he is. See, it's easy to praise on Palm Sunday, but can you worship on Good Friday? Can you worship even when your hope and your expectation is crucified? This is the question that Palm Sunday asks of us, really where we have to allow the Holy Spirit even to speak to our hearts, because we can't just follow Jesus so long as he does what we want. We can't just lift up a song of worship so long as God seems to be doing his end of the deal or, or, or fulfilling our desires. See, faith says, God, I'm praying for this, but I trust whatever you want to do. See, the way of Jesus allows us, it equips us, I believe, to live with this tension of challenging a profoundly broken world, yet on the other hand, to live with a joy and a hope and a praise and a worship in our hearts. It's this tension, our, our expectation, but God's answers. And really, I believe this is what God is after. See, Psalm 22, it's a verse that we love to quote. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. What a great promise that is. 
that God inhabits the praises of his people. Many times we'll quote it, we'll get on about it on a Sunday morning and we'll say, as we lift up Jesus, his, his presence is found right here in our midst. Let me tell you, that is true. It is a great promise that anytime we lift up our voice and worship Jesus, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. God is found here in our worship. This is why worship matters. Worship is like, a call right to God's presence to say, as I lift up my voice in worship, God, your presence is there to be found. But we love verse three, but oftentimes we forget about verse one and two. See, Psalm 22, it's not just a verse that we love. Psalm 22 is what Jesus actually quoted on the cross. See, we don't get verse three without verse one and two. Verse one and two is what Jesus quotes. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not the way that we thought this psalm was going to start. God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Verse three, yet you are holy. Yet you are holy. Yet you are holy. Where are you, God? I feel forsaken. Why are you so far away? Yet you are holy. You inhabit the praises of your people. I think the lesson that Jesus wants us all to know today is worship is what actually begins to allow where are you, God, to turn to, yet you are holy. It's that moment of worship when, let me just say this, where God begins to turn your question marks into exclamation points. It's God's grammar with worship to begin to say, where are you, yet you're holy? God, why are you so far from saving me, but you inhabit the praises of your people? What is the lesson? The lesson is we don't get to verse three without verse one and two. Let me just say it like this. God shows up in his fullness when you can praise him from your emptiness. God can show up in his fullness when you praise him in your emptiness, in David's darkest moment, in Jesus' darkest moment, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? Yet you are holy. You are here. It's a praise in the dark. It's a praise in the silence. It's a worship in the face of brokenness. Let me tell you today, you may feel like you're empty. You may feel like you're at rock bottom, but I can tell you today that if you worship in that place, this is the moment that God's presence begins to flood your heart. This is the moment that God begins to take notice, to see people that can worship right at rock bottom. You may feel like there's nothing left for you to give. I don't have even an ounce of hope left, yet you are holy. And this is the kind of praise the Bible promises that God inhabits. I want to tell you today that it's in worship that God can turn your pain into praise. God can turn your pain into praise. C.S. Lewis said that all of heaven's joys are retroactive. I love this idea. What he's telling us is that one day when we get to heaven, which by the way, it's just worship. In worship, when we get to heaven, the Bible says we'll look back on our life. What he begins to tell us, we'll look back on our life and even the moments that are the most painful and the most challenging and the darkest moments will be a cause for joy and for celebration. 
not here today to make light of your pain, but I'm telling you today that in worship, God can turn your pain into praise. It can actually be something that God is only, this is what Jesus does. This is the message of Easter. Our hope was lost, expectation crucified on Good Friday, but on Sunday, the tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. See, worship is what it allows us for our desires to be morphed into God's desires. Worship, it actually molds us. It shapes us. It allows our focus to become God's focus. See, when, when God doesn't meet your expectation, it will either produce worry or worship in your life. And I'm telling you today that if you can choose worship, if you can choose worship, Ephesians tells us that worship displaces worry at the center of our life. Worried, God, where are you? Why does it seem like you're so far away? Where are you? But you are holy. What begins to happen in my heart is worry is displaced, offense is displaced, and my heart just begins to be filled up in the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of our risen King. It's of who Jesus is. So where do we end today? I want to end in worship. I want to give us a chance to practice what I'm talking about, to worship through your expectation. You know, the palm branch in the ancient world was a symbol of victory. As the people there that day were waving their palm branches, what they were saying to Jesus is they were anticipating a political victory of our king. See, victory in the world is defined by what you can achieve. Victory is defined by what you can accomplish. But Jesus gives us another path. See, victory in the kingdom of God is defined by what you can surrender. Victory isn't defined by what you can achieve or attain or accomplish. Victory is defined by what you can surrender. And I'm telling you, the victory was won in a garden called Gethsemane when Jesus knelt down and he prayed and he said, God, I really don't want to do this. This isn't what I expected. If there's another way, let's do that. Let's go with plan B. But not my will, but your will be done. What Jesus was saying is, I don't want this, but I want what you want more than what I want. And I'm telling you, he surrendered even his expectation. He surrendered even his desire. He surrendered the burden that he had. And he said, God, whatever it is your will, I trust you. I follow you. And I'm committing to this moment. I'm telling you today. I want, I want to just make a moment where we begin to unpack this idea and really understand the victory that was won even before Jesus did anything. The first victory was that he knelt in the garden and he surrendered his desires. Man, aren't you thankful for that moment? Because what would happen after the garden is Jesus would go to the cross. And on the cross, he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our guilt, he took our brokenness, and he died for it. And on the cross, he spilled his blood for us so that we can know freedom, we can know hope. Jesus faced hell for us so we didn't have to. But that's not the end of the story, friend. I hope you understand today that Jesus did not stay dead. The Bible says that he rose again. On the third day, they went to the tomb and he was nowhere to be found. Our God got up out of that grave 
He resurrected in power. Come on, this is worship. I wish some people would stand up and begin to help me today. Lift up a worship to Jesus today. Let's begin to offer our praise to Him. Let me tell you, we aren't waving a palm branch for a victory of a political victory or of a politician. We're lifting our hands in surrender of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who died for the sin of the world on a hill called Calvary. We love you, Jesus. Let's just begin to lift up our Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.